0: Hi, I'm Megan Gilger, and welcome to the Fresh Exchange Podcast. Hello, friends. How are you guys doing? Have you taken time to take a breath this week? By chance? Maybe? Maybe we can do it together and just kind of breathe a little bit. I know I've been like feeling this, like, little bit of like spring anxious energy to get myself out into the garden to start doing everything. You know, you see everything start coming up, all the perennials coming back, the chives popping up. You know, it's all happening. I see it, at least for us here in zone 5B, 6A. <laughs> I sit somewhere in between. And, I'm just feeling this like, ah, let's get everything in, but I have to remember to just sit back a little bit, that pushing forward too quickly can be a hindrance, and that part of beginning, which is our theme within our community this season, is this idea of beginning a relationship with nature and also ourselves in a new way, is there's always this like anxiousness to go. You know, there's this urgency, and I always have to step myself back and remind myself like, "Megan, we have to take things one at a time. Not it doesn't all happen at once. Everything has its own time." And sure, urgency has its place. It keeps us moving forward. But it's also good to rest, to enjoy, to watch, to see the world unfold a little bit. So I'm doing that and I'm reminding you to do the same because beginning has its challenges. And though this may not be your first garden this year, or maybe it is, or maybe this is a new spring in a new place, whatever it may be, we're all beginning in some way. I had a reflection this week as I was thinking about life starting to shift again with the pandemic shifting, with it feeling like the possibility of life getting back to some, I don't want to say normal because I don't know what normal is yet, Um, but going back, I don't even want to say that word, just going. It's moving. (laughs) It's moving in a new direction. Whatever that direction may be, I think we're still trying to figure out, but there are things that feel like this feels like life prior to pandemic in a good way like thinking about my son going back to school like thinking about vaccinated getting vaccinated and like friends also being vaccinated and having outdoor dinner parties together again and like there's these things that feel like we're moving into that again and that has this sense of beginning to it that i'm realizing leaves me feeling very tender and that's an interesting word And something that I've been like pondering is when we're beginning something, there is a tenderness in us. And I am not the same person as I was a year ago when I started the pandemic. And I can almost guarantee you aren't either. And that's both an exciting thing and a really scary thing because this person that has existed and shifted and changed throughout this last year is, is very, feels very new and tender, like a newborn. Like, I feel like I'm having to take my newborn out into the real world again. And, but I'm that. And I have to figure out, like, who am I in this new world? Who am I in this next chapter of life? And that is a tender place to be. And I'm trying to be gentle with that. And I'm also looking to the natural world to kind of guide me a little bit. You know, you think about when a plant, even a well established plant, Pushes up and it comes out of the ground again, or a seed comes out. The amount of energy that that takes, even that little thing, and the amount of courage, you know, it takes. And how do I learn to do that? How can I learn from this plant how to have that courage to step out, but also not fear my tenderness? but also allow it to guide me a little bit. It is a hard place and it's a new place. So when I think about beginning in the spring, I'm thinking about that. I'm really thinking about that to the point that I decided like a month or two ago that I was going to get back into counseling like for myself. And because I realized there's in, in a time where we're going through transition we're very vulnerable, we're very tender, and it's also an opportunity to change ourselves a little bit, you know, to heal something maybe. Anytime we go through transition, and I learned that through postpartum, is that, you know, in many cultures, they see postpartum and birth as an experience for the woman to heal. And not just heal from birth, but heal past things. And I love that. Like, I love that image of that when something happens, a transition happens in life, a beginning happens, it leaves us the opportunity to heal, to grow, to become better. And so I'm thinking about that right now a lot. And we're talking about it in the community. And if you ha- didn't have a chance to join us or you chose not to join us for the season, but you want to eventually, our next opening will be the first week of summer in June. so just look for that and it's already so exciting to see this community to come alive. We have over a hundred members, and it is both overwhelming and exciting <laughs> to me as a new as a new adventure and I'm so happy with The amazing people we have. And, but this is a new beginning for me too, just like it is for you guys. And I'm trying something new. I'm seeing a vision that I had in a dream come into being and it feels new and it feels tender. And I'm leaving those words on it because I think they're really good words, just because they leave opportunity at our doorstep. And we figure out how we're going to take that opportunity. Which is big. So I'm just starting there, like just being vulnerable about that. And I'm sure you guys can connect with it. And it's exciting, it's invigorating, but it's also feels very vulnerable. So <laughs> somewhere to live and somewhere to just like relax into a little bit. Cause come June, we'll feel very differently. And maybe we won't feel as tender. Maybe we'll feel stronger and ready to conquer the world. Or maybe we won't, who knows, but I'm living into that right now and taking notes from the natural world on that and like how to be. So on the notes of beginning though, this episode is all about the beginning of gardening because we're all right there. Like I said, we're probably feeling the urgency if you are particularly in my zone or maybe a zone ahead. Uh, you probably are really feeling it and whether you are seed starting and trying to figure out when you're starting your seeds, things like that. But I wanted to just highlight one thing that I felt like was really helpful. I cannot specifically sit here and tell you exactly how to grow everything or when to do it exactly for your time zone. But I think the one thing when we're beginning is we always need somebody to kind of guide us along. You know, I think it's beginning is always easiest if we have somebody to kind of just hold our hand, even if they're in the roller coaster with us, they're just holding our hand along the way. And that's kind of what the community does. But I also have this awesome ebook in our shop and I'm linking it below. And I wanted to highlight an area in there. And I have this all in our blog post as well, but that's also in the show notes. But I think the thing is, is like when we're starting our gardens, many of you are kind of probably trying to figure out where do I put this? And that's even the bigger question before we even think about what do I grow? Do I put it in the ground? Do I put it in raised beds? Do I use containers? Do I use grow bags? How do, what do I do? It's very overwhelming. And so in this episode, I just want to kind of go through like the things to consider when you're planning your garden. like the actual location of it. And because I think that that is the most difficult and challenging part of beginning is where do I begin? And, and that's what we're doing, right? Like right now, this is like, where do I begin? And so I want to be that little bit of a handhold today to just kind of give you some things that I've learned over my time of beginning and also how And also some of the things to just kind of think about when you're going through that process. These are things I dive into in the ebook, but I just thought I'd offer this little slice of it for you guys today. And so you could, hopefully it helps when you're thinking about it. Or if you even had challenges last year, maybe it'll help you figure out what to do instead. Because I find that this thinking through these things I find that thinking through these things is really, really helpful. And it's also things that I've learned along the way that I really messed up on. And I'll talk about that. But so let's dive in. So where do you even like put your garden? What do you need to consider when you're putting in your garden or anything? First of all, before you even like think about your plot, we got to identify where your zone is. And this zone thing is such a conversation because I get a lot of questions about it. And it's very simple, but it's also very complicated because it's not this like, I think a lot of, I think when we see this, we want to think it's like this prescription. We want to prescribe life. Like we want to know exactly the routine of what we're supposed to do in order to be successful. But the zone thing still doesn't give you that. There is no such thing as like, you're going to have a roadmap. It's not that easy. Gardening is not that easy. The natural world is not that easy. Life is not that easy. So, how can we expect that this is the one answer? You know, so when we talk about this, what I mean is like, this is your zone where, meaning like these are the things that grow best in that area, like it will guide you in that regard, but it also will guide you about when to. Roughly, we're going to say roughly grow things because I oddly sit in a weird place where literally a mile away, it is 5B. And then on our hill, we're indicated as 6A. So it's quite tricky. Like, how is it that different? I don't know. Like, the lake for us makes it really challenging. And so I use this as a very, very rough guide. Really, the best thing, if you want to know exactly when to plant things, is to utilize this thing called phenology. It's spelled P-H-E-N-O-L-O-G-Y. It's in the show notes. But basically what it is, is that you can utilize other plants and when they do certain things to tell you when to plant certain things in your garden. And really, that's probably the best way to know when to plant things. But that is a lot of work to track all those things. Sometimes you don't have those things in your garden or in your yard or around you. So that can be challenging. So it's not, some of this is just kind of feeling your way. It's about watching the weather. It's about just becoming in tune and then learning, you know, things grow here differently than when I lived just down the road, another, you know, 20 minutes, they grow completely differently and that's how challenging and different it can be. So really it takes time to understand where you are to grow things well. But these things will help you. And identifying your zone, there's a link below in the show notes, of course, that gives you a way to do this very easily. You just enter your zip code and it pops it up and it's from um, the USDA. They make it very easy. But the United States alone has 13 different zones. And it's crazy because Santa Fe, New Mexico is the same exact zone, actually a half zone ahead of us here in Northern Michigan. Think about that. So if this explains why things are so varied, like it's across the board. So this is so helpful in the sense that it gives you a rough idea of what you're starting with, but it is not meant to be what you live and die by with your garden. Okay. So we're just going to start there, (laughs) but you need to know it. Because it's going to help you know, like a perennial plant, like, is it actually hardy? Hardy meaning it will not, it, it comes back the next year. It's an actual perennial. If it is not hardy to your zone, it is considered an annual in your zone, which means it won't return and you'll have to replant it the next year. So like, for instance, I can grow eucalyptus, but it's considered an annual unless I dig it up, bring it inside. And I don't even know if it would do it then. Or rosemary and when we lived in Raleigh, North Carolina, it was everywhere. And I was like, what is this plant? And then I realized it was rosemary. I had never seen rosemary flower because I lived in an area where you could just get like a relatively bushy plant, but that was about it. And then it would die. Even if I took it inside, it would die. (laughs) And so, but I'm also very bad at indoor plants. So I highly suggest learning this, but not living and dying by it. That's my recommendation. So, next, once you know this, you now understand what your zone is. We'll just say you're zone six, 6A, 6B, somewhere in there. You decide, okay, I have a backyard. I have, you know, a thousand square feet to work with, roughly. Maybe. If you're lucky, that's quite a bit of space. And you decide you want to put in two raised beds or you're going to do two in ground. Or actually, you have no idea that you're even going to do raised beds or you can do in ground. You can even start there. We'll talk about that in a minute. But like where do i put these in this space well here's the things you need to consider and i think this is the most helpful thing because this is really where you can start to begin is once you've asked these questions and kind of gone through it you can be like oh okay that makes sense yeah that's gonna be the best spot and some of these things you're gonna have to compromise on a little bit and kind of wiggle around with because you're not going to have the perfect space no one does i don't have the perfect space I have had to figure out ways around some of these things in order to accommodate other things that are more important. So here's what you got to do. First of all, you got to consider sunlight. Sunlight's like the most important. Number one, sunlight most plants need, especially for a garden, like when you're growing food, they need six to 10 hours of direct sun every day. So you need to find a spot that receives six to 10 hours of sunlight. Now, the thing that most people don't consider is having too much sunlight Yes, that is a thing. And I can attest to this. And it was something I never really thought about, but I can, I talk about it in my, uh, garden recap for 2020 when I had two different garden areas, I learned this, <laughs> that I had lettuce that just was like, I can't do this. I can't handle this. I had herbs that were like barely handling it. I tried to grow beets in too sunny of an area. And it was like, they were going to die like, <laughs> and they did not produce well. And part of that could have been the soil, but I think a lot of it was also too much sun. And so this year I totally redesigned a garden in order to accommodate sunlight and plants, plant location based upon the sunlight. Now that I understand and know the sunlight so well, I can adjust this, but um, we just don't consider that as much. We think about, will these get enough sunlight? We just don't consider the other side of it of getting too much sunlight. So for me, I'm adjusting by taking my lettuces and putting them on the back porch instead in containers and grow bags and stuff like that so that they're more protected from that later direct southern sun that comes off up here on our hill that makes us act more like a 6A sometimes and because we avoid a lot of frosts because of our altitude compared to other people. So around us, like I said, like a mile away, it totally is different. So sunlight is huge, but we have to really think about wind because what happens is, is like, there are so many different plants that don't like wind at all. And so for, I learned this firsthand because here on our Hill, we get a lot of Southwest and direct west wind like it is intense some days especially in the wind or in the the transition of spring to summer and then summer to fall and then there's like the occasional storm that comes through in the summer it can be like you know 50 mile per hour gusts and (laughs) it can rattle windows on our house so anything which most of our plantings are on the west side of our house which is far less protected from with trees so we have to think about this and how we've thought about it is like that lower garden area is more protected because it's kind of sunken in a little bit, almost in its own little tucked in valley. And so it gets a little bit less wind. It still gets quite a bit of wind, but it doesn't come roaring over and it breaks a little bit, especially with the fence and stuff. It helps a lot. The other thing is, is when we built that plateaued area, we planted like this fence. I don't want to call it a fence. It's not a fence. It's a hedge And it's still developing, but eventually it'll be a full hedge that will break that wind as well. And then I plant other taller things that come up fast and early, like sunflowers, that protect it as well and break the wind. So that is our best areas to grow. So I had to adapt things and figure out ways to break the wind. We're planting more trees on the hill to help break it, things like that. But some of that takes time, but I still want to grow things on that side because the sun is the best and everything else is really good and it meets the other criteria. So it's one of those things like an imperfect situation, but making the most out of it. And wind is something like certain plants do not like it. Tomatoes don't like it. Basil does not like it. And plus wind can suck out a lot of moisture out of the ground. And especially when you have sandier soil like ours is that we're constantly trying to compensate because we have, you know a 400 foot drop dune just like 20 miles away from us. So, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of sand around here and we basically live on a dune. So we, we've we had to figure out how to handle the wind and moisture levels because of that, as well as protect the plants. The other thing is, is that you have to really assess like, what is your access to water and how are you going to water things? And this sounds pretty basic, but You have to really think about it because you don't want to be like hauling a hose all the time or, you know, you got to really figure it out because it it can make it really task heavy if you're not close to a water source. So you want to make sure that that's readily available to you. The other thing is, is you want to make sure that you're close to your shed and your compost and whether that's just like you have a Rubbermaid container or something like that, where you keep all your tools and everything nearby or you build a garden shed that's nearby your garden beds, you want to just have those tools easily available to you so you're not doing a lot of like back and forth or anything like that. You also want to make sure you have a compost pile or you have access to it pretty close because at the end of the season or between seasons, you're going to want to like remove plants. You're going to have to have like trimmings to do, things like that. You're going to have tops from vegetables, you know, there's all this like brown and green matter that you're going to want to be adding in there. And then you can utilize it and spread it. And if it's really close by, it makes it really easy and less task heavy. So, and it's all about enjoying your garden, right? So you want to make those tasks easier. And so having access to those things is a big deal. The big thing is also your soil. You can have great sun, you can have good water, but if you don't have the soil and you don't have the nutrients, your garden's going to suffer. And this is where we can talk about the in-ground raised bed conversation. So the thing to consider, we have both. We have somewhat of like a raised in-ground area, you could say. And then we have raised beds and then we have in-ground, in-ground. And so I have experience with all of it. I've also grown in grow bags. I've grown in all sorts of different situations. The thing that I will say is like, Raised beds are wonderful because you can 100% from the get go control your soil. So you know what your plants are consuming. Because when the ground, especially if you're in a city, you're not really sure what they're tapping into in those water, those aquifers that are underneath the ground that you can't see. You don't know what those plants are consuming. That always concerns me. And that's why when we lived in a city, I grew in grow bags and containers and pots and stuff like that because it, Made me have less concerns about that, but I'm, you know, really into clean water sources and the belief in that. But, but if you don't live in a city, you may just like. That's why where we live, we're very high up above our aquifer. Like we had to dig a, dr- or a well. I think it was like fifty yards deep. It was it was intense. It was very. It was like twice as much as we expected because we had to go so deep and. The aquifer is quite deep. And so the soil here has not ever been tended. It has never been used for anything. So we kind of knew what we were working with. And then we had to amend it quite a bit. And there's lots of methods that you can use to amend your soil. I really like the no-till method because it really helps maintain and build up the micronutrients and everything in the soil that are really necessary for healthy soil and topsoil. That has been decimated across our country and across the world over the past, you know, 50 years. And we want to help build that up, right? So that's a good way to do it. Soil also holds carbon. And even though it's small, like on our scale in a home garden, it's also really wonderful to just like be part of holding more carbon in your ground and so and in the soil. So you're going to like it's if you till it, you open the soil and release carbon And so if you have a larger plot, you may want to consider not tilling for that very reason, but it's absolutely up to you. These are your decisions with your garden. Gardening is gardening and I'm happy anybody's out in the garden, especially if you're consuming those vegetables and you're growing things and being beneficial to pollinators, like whatever works for you. I just enjoy that. Uh, Charles Dowding is a really big person on YouTube. You can follow about it. He has a lot of good tips, but there are plenty of people. This is not a new idea. It has been used for centuries and it's a beautiful idea. Regenerative agriculture is what that basically is. So the, but if you choose to do raised beds, you're going to have to fill in all that soil. You're going to have to build up that base too. So also important (laughs) and it's going to take a lot of compost. Both are kind of expensive, to put in I don't think there's one that's slightly cheaper than the other maybe in ground but because you don't have the materials to build raised beds but it's a toss up to be honest <laughs> somebody's done it both ways the other thing you're going to want to consider is pests so this is hard to really figure out when you're getting going but you can kind of observe your area and see like what is around you i have found like for us when we waited a year i found that we had a ton of deer And I was super concerned about that. And a lot of people ask us all the time, like, how do you keep deer out of your gardens? And we utilize some natural ways, understanding the deer themselves. Like deer don't like harsh smelling things. Like they really don't like lavender. Like it's like repulsive to them. So they will ignore it extensively. So we utilize lavender all over adding more actually a ton this year around the garden to keep them out not that they've gotten into our gardens at all but it's more helpful you know to keep to make sure that it continues then on top of that the having dogs is helpful they don't like the smell of dog urine i guess <laughs> and then lastly the thing that i didn't really understand initially about deer but they don't have very good like height and depth perception i think this is why like they try to jump over cars like on the road or something I don't totally understand, but there's something with their understanding of depth perception that makes it, you can kind of utilize different heights of like fencing. We utilize the hedge as this. They won't jump over something that they cannot determine the height and depth of. And so like our hedge that we're growing, it's a bunch of different sticks that are all these different heights. And and then when it fills in, it's even more so that. And so they start being Mm -hmm. like, I don't know how to get in there. That's not worth it. And then there's lavender around it. And then they're really like, Ugh, that just doesn't even, there's more things that are easier to consume outside of this area. <laughs> Plus we have a lot of like wild apple trees. So I think that keeps them on in are definitely on their like deer path. So I think that is what they're just like, well, that doesn't seem worth it. But if you have things like rabbits, squirrels, mice, these are tricky sometimes. And gophers, like these are all things raised beds do make it a little bit easier for you to keep these things out than in-ground beds utilizing a lot of plants like lavender, marigolds, nasturtium, calendula. The list goes on mint, anything that has a, a high intense smell. I think geraniums are also in that list. Those things deter pests uh naturally without you doing anything. And I know this because we have rabbits that get in our garden from basically October till June. Once those marigolds go in, I don't find rabbit poop for the rest of the summer. I have lost one squash to a mouse, but that was in an area where there weren't many many marigolds or anything like that. Other than that, I never see them. I really don't. And I do believe in companion planting for that very reason. Also, it keeps away things like tomato hornworms and everything. We'll do a whole post about companion planting, but that is definitely the best way to do it. And so, like I said, you can't be 100% about it, but if you're thinking about putting it in, you know, you have the larger pests like deer, you may want to consider some of these things and thinking through like a fence or anything like that and like how that works. And we have a whole blog post about the fence that we built. I'll link it in the show notes as well. And, and how we kind of thought through that with deer and everything, because that was a big question from people. Lastly, and I think this is the one that some people Just kind of overlook because what we're thinking about with our garden is about it being productive and successful, right? But we lastly don't, we can't forget about enjoying it. So put your garden in a location where you're going to enjoy it. You know, maybe if you're doing a kitchen garden, you want it accessible to your kitchen or you're doing an herb garden, put it on your porch outside of your kitchen doors or, you know, whatever it may be, put it in a place you can enjoy it. And whether that means that the task will be lower of hauling things from one place to another or a place you can sit or your kids can play next to it while you garden and they play, whatever it may be, like lastly, don't forget that. Like, don't forget that this is a space for you to enjoy and don't put that last on the list. Put it high up on the list. Because you don't want to put put all the effort into this thing and then dread it, because it's not in a location where you can actually enjoy it. So, like we built a sandbox (laughs) strictly by the garden, so that the kids could play and I could garden, because that helps me enjoy it more. Because I'm not like chasing a kid, or they're in one location and I'm not able to garden and things like that. So, I really think that that's something that we don't always think about. So, figure that out too in that list. But that's like my top tips for really like figuring out the best place to put your garden and really where you want to begin. Because everything else kind of will, you know, cascade from there, whether it be you decide to do plants, like specific plants. And when you do those specific plants, that kind of comes down to like what time of year is best for those things. And you want to buy starts, you know, from a local farm that grows things organically and or a nursery that does it without a lot of chemicals and things like that. You want to find those things, but those are, that's how we, we have to first know where to begin these things. Like where do we actually put the beds? Cause this is the time of year where we start doing that. Like we really get serious about, filling everything getting it going and granted if you're in zone 8 9 10 11 12 you're past this and so i'm sorry if this is like not helpful but i do hope that for anyone that's like 8 and higher on that over lower so to speak <laughs> 8 to 1 that maybe this is really helpful because we you aren't too late to put in your garden In fact, you have plenty of time still if you're in like eight and seven to put it in, even if you're in nine. I mean, we haven't even, we're just in, we're just about to be in April. Like we have plenty of time to grow things. So I just want to help you guys think through where do we begin? I hope that's helpful. And I hope you guys also meditate on how you personally are beginning right now. Just kind of thinking about it because it's, we're going through a lot. Like we're kind of entering a spring in life. And like I said, spring is beautiful, but it isn't always easy. And it can be mucky and dirty and just like trudging through it sometimes. And it can feel like we go backwards before we go forward a lot and we're feeling urgency. And those are hard feelings and to not, you know, really sit with those and allow them to be is, is hard. On ourselves. So it's important to do that. And I know that I sleep better and I do better in life when I allow myself that space. So I'm focusing on that, especially this weekend. So, and I hope you guys do too. Next week, we have some really exciting interviews in this next month uh, as we enter Earth Month. I am so excited to talk about some of these topics because they are really exciting. But if you guys have things you also want me to talk about, you can always send me an email. I love hearing from you guys you can find all the info in our show notes right now including how to buy our ebook that i reference all this information in even more in depth ways it's just 20 bucks and it really helps you like get going in the garden and it's all my knowledge i have learned over the past 10 years and even shares my own story of why the garden so i hope you guys really enjoy it if you decide to purchase it so if not no worries I hope you guys have a great day, and I will see you next Wednesday. And I will see you out there, friends. Hold up. What was that?